This was one that my mom did all the time and subsequently Mm. I did all the time as well, which is, yeah, if you criticize me for something, I'm actually going to point out how, wait, but you do the same thing or all the time or actually you're worse at that than I am. Or what about this time that you also did the same thing? And and it's not helpful or productive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it can feel effective. And this is something that Dedeker and I have caught ourselves doing where one person will come with a complaint and the other one will kind of immediately like kind of react more intensely than seems justified. And we we kind of caught it early on and we're like, what's going on? Why are you reacting so, so intensely? And it's like, oh, I'm preemptively angry at you because I think you're about to be angry at me. So I got to get in front of it. Amazing. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're going to have some fights. Wait, what I mean is we're talking about what you can do to make sure your conflicts aren't harming your relationships. Specifically, we're looking at some research about conflict and looking at ways we can apply these lessons to our daily lives. We're also going to look at some unhealthy conflict patterns to highlight what maybe should be avoided. While the research is focused on romantic relationships, the principles in them apply to any type of relationship when you think about it. So just something to keep in mind as we're going through this. The last time we talked about fights was on episode 210 back in 2019 called Taking the Fight Out of Your Fights. I know, right? We were were very zen and chill. I don't know. We just weren't fighting at all. (laughs) I mean, I've had plenty of fights since 2019. That's true. Yeah, maybe we've been having too many fights to calm down enough to Mm -hmm. talk about fights. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. It's hard to communicate about fights when you're in the middle of a fight. Yeah, 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 exactly. In the intervening years since we did that episode, it feels like conflict is a lot easier to come by in all sorts of relationships in our lives, just because tensions are a lot higher, people feel a lot more out of control, there's a lot more frustration, things like that. And so I think it's good to come back and revisit this and kind of look at if conflict is inevitable, how can we be doing it in maybe the, the least harmful way possible, or ideally have conflict in our relationships in a way that can actually make them better. Would be cool. It would be cool. That's the dream, right? I think it would be nice to it kind of take our physical state and move it into a place where we're not as charged. I think that's the thing since 2019 that I've learned mm-hmm. the most is that mm-hmm. I need to calm my physiological state before I can really have like a good all-out brawl with my partner or with someone else <laughs> in a constructive on, okay. manner. <laughs> in, okay, in a constructive manner. Brawling in a constructive. Yes, exactly. Yes. If we oh, want to even call it that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I feel like I, I have just tried to like keep the peace so much because it feels like something that I can control in my life while there's so much chaos happening out outside my window outside in, in the world right now. 
Well, you bring up a good point, actually, about your physiological state, and we'll talk about that more a little bit later in the episode. But there's, if you think about it, like our day-to-day, I think for most people, does not offer us a lot of opportunities for just calming and chilling, right? So between getting up in the morning and like maybe maybe you get up into chaos, I got to get the kids ready or got to get ready for work or oh, I overslept or whatever it is, stress about money or stress about work or lack of work. And then the whole global situation and then you look at your phone and then between looking at the news and also scrolling through social media, like everyone's unhappy and everything seems so stressful. And so it's like, we, I do think we have this constant diet of stressors in our lives that that really run our nervous systems ragged and not that those are all bad and not like we have to be totally chill all the time but I do think that that does contribute to having fewer resources for when your partner does say something flippant mm. or uh you know you feel criticized or they disappoint you in some way where I think it can make it that much easier to just snap and to have a short fuse Maybe maybe all of us have a collective, collectively shorter fuse than maybe we would have five <laughs> Since years COVID ago. Or so. Kind of happened. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a right. good point. I think the other interesting thing about what you said, Emily, is that because everything else is so stressful and it feels like there's so much conflict around me, I want to keep the peace. Yeah. And when it comes I have to found conflict, that's where it goes. <laughs> right. And, and I and I totally get that. And when it comes to conflict in relationships, one of the things that I guess that's so hard to figure out is that there are a lot of different studies or different psychologists or just different kind of um, folk wisdom or whatever that have very different opinions about how conflict affects your relationship. For example, there are a lot of studies out there showing basically that conflict leads to decreased relationship satisfaction, which can build up over time and eventually lead to relationships ending, for example. Uh, Other studies have shown that conflict is associated with poorer health outcomes. But then there are other studies that indicate, oh, well, conflict is only damaging if you're you're being really mean and hostile to each other and and it's fine or maybe neutral otherwise. Or other ones that even say having conflict leads to better outcomes in the long term, even if they kind of suck in the short term. Because the idea with that being you're not just kind of bottling stuff up to keep the peace, but you are talking about them and working through them and that that leads to you, you know, making improvements in the relationship. So we get all these mixed messages. I feel like conflict is necessary and inevitable, but it's the way in which you approach conflict. And if you have the ability to kind of step back from the situation and be aware of your own cognitive biases that you're bringing into the conflict... I think that that is key because if we just immediately, you know, your partner says something flippant and so that means, oh, they're trying to attack me or they're trying to do something to me as opposed to questioning like, well, am I having this reaction because I am having a bad day and or they might be going through something? You know, if if you're able to look at the whole situation a little bit more globally, I feel like that's really key in approaching conflict. Well, so this is an interesting point that you bring up, and I do want each of us to talk a little bit about how our own personal experiences with conflict have changed over the years. This point where, you know, there's certain studies that point out the fact that conflict sucks in the short term, but it can lead to much more positive outcomes later on. I think for myself, 
before I ever considered the fact that relationships and communication might be intentional, and I just kind of <laughs> floated through life uh, by the seat of my pants, as it were, and floated through my relationships in that way, I think I did experience that phenomenon that a lot of people experience, which is like the only way that the relationship changes uh, for better or for worse is through conflict. Hmm. So hmm. as in, if we don't have something like a radar, some kind of check-in, or if we're both avoidant of hard relationship conversations, let's say, or I feel a little bit too embarrassed to make this vulnerable request of you or something like that, that for many people in their relationships, it isn't until we hit that breaking point and we step on each other's toes and then like all the feelings come out and we get all mad and, and work it out. And then maybe on the other side of it, then we're actually able to have understanding and be like, oh, okay, now I know this and now let's change this thing. And on the one hand, I do think a lot of people have that experience. And I think if you're lucky, and you happen to be with a partner where the two of you don't trigger each other too much and you're able to be non-aggressive to each other and non-hurtful to each other in your conflict, then I do think that kind of pattern does work for a lot of people. But on the other hand, I think just relying on conflict to be the engine that drives change in your relationship can be leaving a lot up to chance. Is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah, that you're kind of missing out on... You know, you'll still have some conflicts. It's just going to happen. But if, like Dedeker said, if you're doing something like a radar, a regular relationship check-in, that yeah, that then you're able or just to being willing to tackle uncomfortable conversations, right? Because yeah, I think sometimes one. that's the kind of thing that causes conflict is because we don't want to have an earlier, more uncomfortable conversation. I think right, yeah, that's the kicker, and that's the thing that I still struggle with is that. I may internally have feelings about a specific topic, but I don't want to rock the boat. And so I tend to just not talk about them <laughs> until that, I'm that's like, a danger, do right? that. yeah, we'll maybe do that. six months from now when X thing is over, then I can talk about this because it'll be a little bit easier then or whatever. And that's yeah. not necessarily a good practice. Well, yeah, sometimes, right. well, sure. I, I think sometimes there can be being a, you know, mindful and skillful about when you choose to open up a topic. And also there are some things where like, it's never going to be a good time, right? Yeah. Or it's never going to yeah. feel good to have that conversation. Totally. Yeah. And then I think the thing I find, for example, with Dedeker and myself is we do radars fairly regularly. Sometimes we don't do them every single month. Maybe it's two months, but we've been doing that regularly for very many years and we're pretty comfortable with talking about things, but conflicts will come up often because it's like something that you weren't even really consciously aware of totally builds yeah. up over time and eventually that boils over and so i can see how even in that situation it's not like oh if you communicate enough you'll never fight but it's that you'll hopefully have less of them and then when you do hopefully you're doing them well which is what we're going to be talking about in this episode hopefully you can do them well and skillfully so that so that it is more of an opportunity to learn and, you know, change the relationship for the better rather than just something that decreases your satisfaction and makes you unhappy. What kind of different views have you heard, though? Because I, I want to come back to that idea of some people are like, conflict's great. Some say it's not. I know that for me, growing up, you know, I, so I had my dad and stepmom who basically were just super chill all the time and didn't seem to ever have any conflict. And I had my mom and stepdad who would have conflicts sometimes that tended to involve more raised voices. Mm. And at the time thought, oh, you know, this one's bad and this other one's not. But now looking back, 
it's kind of this, well, but was stuff getting addressed in that other relationship or were they just doing it where I couldn't see them? I feel like sometimes we get this kind of weird impression of conflict from our parents in that way where because we're not seeing everything as kids, right? Right. We, you know, or maybe you we don't, don't maybe even we see have the fight, a, a but, second person to it's like your mom and nobody else. So I, you don't see any conflict except oh, yeah, when like it happens to Emily you. Raised well, by you know, moms. It's like, yeah, either mom and nobody else or just mom with yourself. Correct. It's usually, right. <laughs> yeah. sure, maybe, yeah. I mean, I guess I at least had an older sister where I could also watch mom and older sister. But but well, I'll be frank. It was usually mom and me in conflict. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, what, did, what do you feel like you learned from that, or or did they express anything to you about conflict, whether it's good or not? Yeah. Okay. So so no, for me, never any meta communication of even acknowledging oh, conflict is a thing that happens in relationships, and it's something that we can think about and be pro- proactive about. You know, my family, I think it was very authoritarian. It was always very clear. There's there's a clear winner and a clear loser in every argument. And so the whole point Mm. is just get to the point where we know who the winner and loser is. And then, and then we move along. Also not a lot of repair or emphasis on repair, not a lot of coming back after a conflict or after someone has, uh, you know, popped off in some way to say, Oh yeah, I'm sorry about that. Or I'm sorry, I raised my voice or, or I shouldn't have said that or anything like that. No, it was just kind of, you just, you're in it to win it, baby. So that set me up real good for my first adult relationships. I would say, and I understand this is my perception, but that I wasn't really ever in the right. Like I was mm-hmm. basically just told mm-hmm. that I was wrong. And once in a while when that wasn't the case, my mother would come back to me and apologize. So I appreciate that. But my Mm. perception generally was that I was just the one getting told that I was incorrect or that I had done something wrong or that I needed to write a five-page paper about how I wasn't cleaning my room or doing my chores. Oh, my God. Is that that. a real story? A five-page paper? Oh, yeah. (gasps) Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, (laughs) Okay, well, you know, so so basically... How do you you squeeze five pages out of that? Do you remember? I don't... I pulled it out of my ass somehow. Double spaced, sixteen <laughs> point <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, but I, uh, yeah. It, it, so, but it, there definitely were times when I think it, it, some anger was a reaction of being a single parent and you know having to make enough money to survive and all of those things. And so, some conflicts that came up were definitely a result of that. That then later were like, sorry, I was being a bitch or something along those lines, which did happen mm. a couple times. And I appreciated that. But so how that I translated think- into my life, I don't know. I, I'm i not great at conflict. Sometimes I get really ma- mad. And then sometimes I also am like, well, I'm just wrong and, and bad at everything. Well, you're great at writing episodes. So maybe if we have you write an episode about reasons oh, why one might avoid cleaning their room, have some great content. <laughs> Oh, God. I don't know. (laughs) Well, so it sounds like all of us grew up with more of an impression that, you know, conflict happens and it generally sucks and it's bad. Do you have have you ever heard from anyone this idea of like, oh, no, fighting in our relationship is what makes it great. It's where the passion comes from or or something like that. I know I've had some friends who have that opinion. Um, Yeah, I I have a very close friend. Uh, She and her partner you know, definitely fight sometimes in front of me 
or I have two close friends who, yeah, are very combative, like on the fight, flight, freeze or fawn, like they're Mm. very much in the fight category. And Mm -hmm. it is fascinating, but it feels constructive, although they will like jib and jab at each other in a way that also feels a little like cringy, like, holy shit, I could never or would never say that thing Mm -hmm. to my partner or to somebody I cared about. But to them, it's just like, whatever. This is part of our ritual of fighting. Yeah, I had a friend once who, to be fair, she watched a lot of TV and yeah, and and while she was single and dating around, she very much romanticized this idea of passion in a relationship where and and what passion means is both we're really into each other and the chemistry is off the charts and we just want to be around each other all the time. And also our fights are super intense. Because huh. like that's what passion means. And and I don't think she pulled that out of thin air. Like I've definitely watched plenty of movies and TV shows myself where we do romanticize. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember that's the only, literally the only thing I remember from the notebook. I'm sorry, everybody. I only watched it once. But <laughs> literally the only it. thing I remember, other than Ryan Gosling looking like a real, a real good cheesecake looking. in a good really? way, if you know what yeah. I mean. Cheesecake that I want to... Anyway, the only thing that I remember from the notebook <laughs> was it's one part of the narration when we're laying out their courtship story, but like romanticizing the fact that they fought all the time mm-hmm. and like yelled mm-hmm. at each other all the time. And even then at that tender age of whatever it was, I was when I was watching the notebook being like, that doesn't sound nice. Yeah, I don't care if Ryan Gosling is a tasty cheesecake. I still don't want to be fighting with him all the time. No. <laughs> and that's a bad like thing to, to teach generations of young people, I think, during yeah. that time. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I think maybe let's focus a little bit first on what are some of the unhealthy ways of having conflict. Then we'll look at a study kind of talking about one particular approach to how to make your, make sure that your conflicts are constructive. Uh, and then some tips about how you can incorporate some of that into your life. Yeah, so we have this list of common patterns of unhealthy conflict. So this is pulled from an article by Randy Gunther on psychology today. So Randy, based on their work as a clinical psychologist working with couples, identified these nine conflict patterns. We're not going to go through all nine. We actually removed a couple of them because they just read like abuse dynamics in particular. And so we just kind of thought, well, I mean, not that we don't want to talk about abuse or acknowledge that, but we thought, uh, you know, just with the caveat that we're looking at conflict patterns that can show up even if you're in a healthy relationship, um, a non-abusive relationship, you can still struggle with conflict and you can still have unhealthy conflict patterns. So if you're not sure about the type of conflict in your relationship of is this an abusive dynamic or is this okay even though it sucks, we definitely recommend seeking out a second opinion as it were. You know, Either that's a professional, a therapist, a counselor, a coach, or a trusted friend or a family member. And again, even after after all that, you're still really not sure, um, might be good to consider leaving the relationship. It's okay to break up. We have to give the caveat more times than not. So with that in mind, we're going to go through this list of different conflict patterns that may be present in your relationship. So the first pattern of unhealthy conflict that Randy Gunther talked about is called shouter versus silent martyr. So this is essentially characterized as one person being the shouter and the shouter quickly escalates from calm to shouting in this conflict. 
Now, the other partner, who I guess is supposed to be the silent martyr, they very quietly and calmly collect evidence to later use to explain how they are unfairly attacked and unjustifiably criticized. And then eventually the shouter just gets tired out when, you know, the shouting is no longer ineffective. So that's interesting. That silent martyr person is like essentially collecting evidence to later be like, look at what you did to me. Look at what I Mm -hmm. suffered through, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think something that's really interesting about these patterns that that Randy points out from her work with couples is this, how they're very much painted in this way that no one's really the good guy or not. And that's sort of the point, right? It's like, this is just an unhealthy pattern no matter what. And that's more important than whether or not someone's more good than the other, which, you know, it sounds like both of you growing up, it was this one person's right, one person's wrong. You know, so that there's that idea, too, of like, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, you know, who's who's being attacked and and who's the one who's being treated unfairly. Right. So I think that's interesting. Just something to note in these examples. Another one we have here kind of similar to that is the snarky versus the unflappable. So in this case, instead of shouting, the snarky partner does all these little sarcastic jabs, trying to basically trying to get a reaction from the other person. And then the other person, if they're this unflappable type, they just are kind of non, non-responsive to it, non-reactive, like they don't take the bait to, to engage. Mm. And then this often ends up with no real discussion because the unflappable one just won't engage. And that snarky one was trying to use that as a way to almost like to start a fight, to have that conversation. But then it just doesn't happen because of that. So again, this weird sort of mismatch of, of these sorts of, of, uh, ways of trying to approach conflict or not conflict. I think I've seen people describe that as also falling under the umbrella of like passive aggressive. I mean, I think there's Mm, many many different flavors of passive aggressive, but kind of the like, I'm just going to drop in again, a passive yet aggressive comment that Uh might be a little bit sarcastic or just like a tiny bit biting, but it's, it's almost like just putting out some bait. I'm not necessarily diving straight into the conversation. Yeah. I've definitely seen and also engaged in such behavior. So the other when they said snarky, I was like, Did I Yeah, yeah. I am the lead snark around these parts. Yeah. So the next conflict pattern is uh what Randy calls the pursuer versus the runner. So I have to give a callback to our episode 275, Demon Dance Battles, about the work of Sue Johnson looking at pursuit and withdrawal patterns. This is very, very similar. Um, but this particular flavor is, you know, the pursuer in the conflict may follow the other person. And I think often this is like physically following them around, like following them room to room. They may be demanding more details, demanding an answer to a question, rehashing the fight, pushing for their view to be accepted. And then the runner... Yeah, me too. Me too. The runner may just want peace and quiet and harmony, right? And so they're just trying to withdraw. They're trying to get away. They're trying to not engage with the argument, with any of the criticism um, or with the disagreement. And often this this pattern can end with the runner finally getting fed up, finally getting cornered and then exploding. And then I imagine then it could it could blossom into a number of any other conflict patterns at that point. That and that is a good point too. That a lot of these can transition into each other, or uh-huh. you you may find that 
you know, one half of this sounds familiar, but the other half is a slightly different reaction or something like that. But hopefully this at least gets you thinking about it. So the next one is the flipper versus the self-doubter. And to me, this kind of reminds me a little bit of switch tracking, which is something that we've talked about in past episodes. I So essentially, the best defense is good offense. So the flipper is going to immediately try to turn any criticism around on the other person. So saying something like, you're accusing me of this. Well, you're actually the one who does it all the time, or you're the one who does this other thing, and that's really awful. So like kind of switch tracking the issue at hand and like flipping it on the other person, essentially. And so the other partner then switches to the defensive and is no longer able to keep the original thought, you know, going, essentially. So essentially, it often results in the self-doubter apologizing and then the flipper walking away and feeling justified without acknowledging, you know, any truth in the original complaint. That's kind of interesting. Like switch tracking, we've talked about before, that's sort of two people talking past each other about two different topics. And this essentially feels like somebody switching into a different topic and then nothing gets resolved because they haven't essentially like talked about the initial complaint at hand either. Well, it's like turning it around. I mean, this was one that my mom did all the time and subsequently Mm. I did all the time as well, which is, yeah, if you criticize me for something, I'm actually going to point out how, wait, but you do the same thing or all the time or actually you're worse at that than I am. Or what about this time that you also did the same thing? And and it's not helpful or productive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it can feel effective. And this is something that Dedeker and I have caught ourselves doing where one person will come with a complaint and the other one will kind of immediately like kind of react more intensely than seems justified. And we we kind of caught it early on and we're like, what's going on? Why are you reacting so so intensely? And it's like, oh, I'm preemptively angry at you because I think you're about to be angry at me. So yes, I got to get in front yes. of it. Amazing. <laughs> so, so we call that our preemptive anger and we're able to catch it by giving it a name, which is hopefully what this list helps with a little bit. Uh, This next one may be familiar to a lot of people, and this is called the Escalating Yellers. And this is the band also. Come see us (laughs) down at the the old Escalating Yellers. Friday night, (laughs) $10 cover. So the Escalating Yellers is where both people start yelling, basically. It starts out calm, but eventually just turns into this shouting match. (laughs) Yeah, so... (laughs) My God, I just had an image of my band is it's literally it's very postmodern. It's literally just an escalating series of yells until until our voices go out. Yeah. Okay. well, that's basically what happens here (laughs) is it kind of turns into this shouting match of just whoever can shout either the loudest or the longest or the most forcefully the longest thinks Ah. they're going to win. Right. Like not like. Just who can maintain that intensity yeah, the longest? Exactly. Right. No, of course. <laughs> right. So so essentially neither one is focused on listening to the other really, but are focused on, you know, who who can just speak louder and kind of assert themselves over the other. And this tends to end once both partners have just kind of exhausted themselves in retreat and nothing gets resolved. Jeez. Or when we come to the end of the show. Right. When everyone's lost their voice and then the audience yes. goes home. And we all yeah. shuffle home. Yeah. This next one is the answer seeker versus the truth dodger. So this could also be another subset of a pursuit withdrawal pattern, I think. But it's one partner starts by seeking answers to a conflict. 
Uh, mm. There may be something confusing. There may be something that's troubling them. They may feel like, I don't know if I'm getting the full story from my partner. And so I need to throw a bunch of questions at them. And of course, that sets up the other person to feel like they're being interrogated, like they're being grilled. And so they may default to avoidance behavior or telling half-truths or even starts just straight up avoiding by just trying to ignore or starting to do other tasks that are unrelated in order to avoid the conversation or the answer to the question. And of course, that in turn will set off the asker even more because they'll become even more curious or suspicious. And then that will continue around and around and around and around until someone gets frustrated and, and gives up. And then eventually this tends to erode trust. And unfortunately, I've been this person because I, my brain... <laughs> Don't agree. You're like, this is six for six here. I know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been an escalating yeller other oh, than okay, my band. Yeah, no. No, Sorry, I don't think not you the have. band. Not yeah. The band. <laughs> um, what I was saying was, yeah, I definitely have a brain that's like, if we know more things, we'll be safer. Mm. Or if we can just have all the answers, then it'll be okay. And so, yes, I have tended to be the answer seeker in relationships in the past, for sure. Mm. The final one is the drama queen slash king versus scoffer. So one partner might tend to exaggerate it. That made me think of also like using always or never language. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. And then often switching their own portrayal of what happened to fit the desired outcome or to combat disagreement. And then the other partner mocks and undermines this as a way to unmask this absurd performance. So they're <laughs> scoffing all over the place. And then the dramatic partner will often end with extreme offense, slamming doors and making a big exit while the scoffer sits and feels victorious. Wow. And once yes. again, no one actually got their needs met. And it, mm -hmm. you know, just it's like, I think that's it what's all worth like noting. It's all like kind of performative. All of these are in, in some way or another. Well, more that they're all various mechanisms people have come up with to avoid actually addressing what's at the heart of the issue and instead to find some other tactic, usually that involves trying to win. And one may or may not have figured out a more effective way to, to quote, win. But really, neither one's winning because nothing changed, nothing really got discussed, and nothing's going to improve in that relationship then. Well, I see in a lot of these also just letting your survival responses run the show, hmm. right? You know, yeah. we get into that fight, flight, fawn or freeze, and you're you know, your frontal lobe is just like checked out and it's all like your amygdala and like your lower brain and stuff like that runs the show and like your inner child steps up and throws a tantrum in some way or, or it's it's kind of like we devolve into this much simpler, more animalistic sense and that's why it's hard to sit and like listen to your partner even when they're saying things that feel critical or to really gently express the fact that you need something like that's what I see in a lot of these is that it's kind of just like a lot of uh, just like nervous system instincts stepping in and running the show in in a way that's not helping you totally and I think especially when you're not conscious of it it's easy to you know if, if you had role models where fighting is bad or fighting's about someone wins and someone loses that it's, well, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I can to either win or to avoid it. And that's sort of the patterns that we saw in all those examples. And I think it takes a very conscious effort to start to change that 
especially if it's a habit that you've had for your whole life and that's been role modeled to you without really any other examples. So it can take some work, but the good news is that it is possible to change. And all of us have significantly changed our conflicts for the better over the years, just that we've known each other and probably in the years before that as well. Um, and we've seen this change with other people too. And so on that note, it brings us to this question of, well, what really does matter then in trying to improve our conflicts? So in the second half of the episode, we're going to look at one particular study that is looking at one aspect that may be the most important part of actually having healthy conflict. And then we're going to look at some ways that you can incorporate that into your daily, well, hopefully not daily, but you know, into your regular conflicts in any of your relationships, not just your romantic ones. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some sponsors and some ways that you can support this show to help us keep this information coming to everybody for free. If you can take a moment to listen to these, and if any seem interesting, or we've got some good deals for you, go check it out. It really does directly support our show. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so let's look at a study. This is a 2016 study by Gordon and Chen called Do You Get Where I'm Coming From? Colon. Perceived understanding buffers against the negative impact of conflict on relationship satisfaction. This was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. That title's a bit of a mouthful, but don't worry, we're going we're gonna to talk about it and, and actually get to the heart of what this is all about. So just as a quick background, basically, they, you know, we're taking on this study specifically because of all this conflicting information we get about many studies showing conflicts harmful, others showing that it makes relationships better, others saying it's, it does, it's more neutral. And so what they wanted to look at is specifically not about how you do an argument, but whether or not you feel understood. And their hypothesis was that that might be the key based on the other research kind of saying, well, what if this is actually the thread at the core of a lot of this? And so that's what they ended up doing six different studies or seven different studies actually to try to get to that answer. Yeah, and those studies looked at the effects of conflict in romantic relationships. And also in many of the studies, the majority of respondents were Asian American or Pacific Islander. And that's super unique because as we've talked about before, most of the time, these demographics tend to be white people and they're usually very young, like college aged or something along those lines. So these studies looked at conflict. They looked at relationship satisfaction. They looked at how understood the participants felt and how positively they perceived their partner. And each successive study attempted to build on the findings of the previous one 
and they essentially refined and double-checked their findings from the previous one. So it was over seven studies. They did a lot of different, you know, types of things like surveys online. They also had an online survey that participants completed every single night for two weeks. One of the studies included videotaped conversations. Uh, Another one asked open-ended questions about conflict and whether or not people felt understood or not. So stuff like that, it essentially were uh, various different ways in order to find out whether or not people were satisfied in their relationship and how positively they perceived their partner, as well as how understood they felt by their partner. Right. So the first thing they found in these studies from the first few was that, as expected, people who reported feeling understood by their partner during a conflict also reported higher relationship satisfaction than people who did not feel like their partner understood them during a conflict. So first, they're like, okay, that that's there, but let's dig into, you know, what's really going on here. What are the nuances of it? So they wanted to determine why does being understood help protect against the negative effects of conflict? And Based on what they were looking at, they came up with three potential explanations that they wanted to investigate. So one is that feeling understood shows that your relationship is good and strengthens it. The second is that it shows that your partner cares and is invested in you. And the third is the hypothesis that by being understood means you're going to have less conflicts in the future because you're more likely to have actually resolved the issue. So these were just the and hypotheses those, that they were yes, testing. These were the three hypotheses mm-hmm. they wanted to test. And of those, they basically found that those first two, so showing that your relationship's good and strengthening it and showing that your partner cares, were the ones that were, were correlated and did seem to be, there seems to be evidence that those are the reasons why it causes less of a decrease in satisfaction in the relationship. And they didn't find evidence really to support that fewer conflicts because of it is the reason, Hmm. which is actually interesting to note because that means that for things like uh, perpetual disagreements, perpetual arguments that we've talked about also in the past, basically this idea that you have totally different worldviews or just different beliefs from each other. And maybe there Mm -hmm. are certain areas where you will never agree and it's not so simple as just, oh, let's make this little change, but there might be a more fundamental disagreement that even in that kind of a situation where it's not going to get resolved, so to speak, that being understood still helps protect against any negative effects from those conflicts. So I did Hmm. think that was... Yeah, that's a good reminder because I do feel like that really gets to the heart of it. And it's like we really have to learn to build that muscle, right? Mm -hmm. Of of sitting in Mm -hmm. that place of, I don't agree with my partner on this point. And maybe I would make different choices if I was in their shoes, but also I can make an effort to understand where they're coming from. And I mean, actually yeah. understand, not the kind of flippant understanding where we're like, yeah, you just want to do this because you hate doing things that are good and you're silly and I don't like your face, you know, <laughs> wow. I, but we, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but we do that, right? Like that's yeah. how I see conflict play out so often is that we think that we understand, first of all, without actually understanding and then... The second part of it being then we make that worse by then repeating that incorrect understanding to our partner, mm-hmm. which, um, and sometimes also in a flippant and sarcastic way. Right. So one of the studies in this I thought was 
particularly interesting was study number five, which is the one Emily mentioned where they did a video recording of the couple having a conversation. And so what they did for this one is they had the couple fill out a survey beforehand, and then they had them have a conversation about a point of conflict in their relationship. And this is something that we've talked about in the past. The Gottmans also have a study very similar to this, where they will observe couples talking about something that's a, a point of conflict in their relationship. And the Gottmans are observing for their behavior and categorizing what percentage of positive versus negative interactions do they have with each other during that, and that that's something they use to predict relationship success. In this one, they took a similar model and they had them fill out a survey first, have that conversation, and then fill out a survey at the end as well. And both partners did it. And they found a few interesting things. So first one is they found that not only, not only did they find that me feeling understood by you makes me feel better, but that when their partner reported feeling more understood, the person doing the understanding, even they didn't know that that was their answer, also had higher relationship satisfaction afterward. So it's kind of this just in general understanding seems to benefit both partners, not just the one reporting that they feel understood, which is kind of interesting. And I'd love to like have a study that digs even more into the nuances of that. Uh, But that was just a little mention that they gave from that. Hmm. Another one is that, so with that, they did look at that ratio of positive to negative interactions like the Gottmans, and they found that partners who felt understood also tended to have a higher ratio of positive to negative interactions, but that they found that feeling understood was more predictive of how they would feel about the relationship than just the percentage of positive to negative interactions. So their Hmm. hypothesis there, which needs to be tested further, is maybe, maybe the Gottmans are onto something, but what if the cause or the root actually is being understood and sort of a symptom of that is the percentage of positive to negative interactions rather than the other way around. Or maybe having more positive interactions helps to be more understood. It's hard to tell which is which, right? Yeah. Uh, So anyway, all of this, kind of the last, one of the last things that they left with in the study is this idea that something to go back and view some of these other studies that have even shown things like angry conflicts with yelling can be productive and helpful to relationships to go back and and do studies like that again and say well how much of it is whether they felt understood or not because maybe maybe it is that situation where i avoid conflict all the time until i finally bubble over and then we yell and we're angry but we're finally understood Hmm. And we hadn't been before because we weren't communicating or we were doing it passive aggressively or something. And so that question versus other ones like we talked about in the first half that's yelling and angry, but doesn't result in any understanding of each other. So that is, I, I I just thought this study was so interesting as another way to look at, you know, what, what might be at the core of how can we better feel understood and also offer more feeling of understanding to our partner. Hmm. Well, so so that leads us to the most important question, which is how can each of us do better in conflict? How can we operationalize these things? How can we apply these things to our life? Well, first of all, if you want just like six billion different ideas around conflict, I highly recommend that you go look through our back catalog. If you go to multiamory.com, our site search feature is actually quite robust because 
not only can you search for, I don't know, search terms like conflict or fighting or arguments or things like that, it'll not only search our episode titles and descriptions, but also all of our transcripts as well. So even if there's very particular things that you're interested in, you can probably find in a transcript someplace where we may have mentioned that. So we would recommend that. Um, But second to that, we do have a collection of some tips here from others as well as from ourselves. Um, In particular, we're referencing a list by Dr. Amy Gordon on Psychology Today called um, Seven Ways to Make Conflict Healthy. And this particular list is not necessarily offering anything unique or revolutionary. You can find a lot of the same advice across the internet, but it's always good to have a reminder. So first one being that, again, I think in the pursuit of understanding, to hold off on asserting your own point of view and to try to take your partner's perspective first and to make it a goal in conflict to understand why your partner feels the way that they do. Now, I I realize that's really hard, especially when you're activated. Um, You know, this is something that I'm working with with the couples that I work with all the time. Something that I would add to this is that this is a good exercise if it's too hard to do in the moment when you're in conflict with your partner. This is a great place to go uh, either during or after you've halted. You've taken a pause during your conflict. You've taken enough time to let your blood pressure come down, to let your breath rate come down, to let your heart rate come down. And when you're finally ready to think about it maybe a tiny bit more objectively, think about it with more of a calm mind, that this is a great place to go of sitting down and trying to write out what is your partner's perspective and really actually trying to get into their head and truly understand what that may be. Second tip here is to avoid the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So we've talked about that many times on the show. For a review, that's criticism or delivering feedback to your partner that's about who they are as a person and their personality as opposed to actions. Uh, defensiveness, that means like, basically not taking any responsibility for any part of a conflict. Contempt, Which that's... If, if you were raised with that idea that fights have winners and losers, yeah. that defensiveness one really kicks in because you can't admit anything or else you've lost. So mm-hmm. trying to get rid of that mindset can help there. Yeah. Next one is contempt. That's behaviors like eye rolling, sarcasm, you know, any kind of behavior that takes on a tone where like you're superior and the other person is inferior. And the last horseman, stonewalling, which is, you know, the freeze out, the shut out, the I'm going to ignore you or not talk to you. Different from a halt. I'm not telling you I'm going to go in the other room. It's I'm just going in the other room and just pretending that you don't exist. Not Mm -hmm. so great. Next one on this list is to go into conflict, giving your partner the benefit of the doubt, assuming that their intentions are not malicious. Again, Like with all of these, it's so hard to do when you're activated or when you're triggered because that's when your state-dependent memory tends to kick in and it's really easy to think of all the other times that your partner pissed you off in this way. But again, the more that you can build that muscle to assume positive intent of your partner. I would add that one practical way to try applying that is even to to speak that out loud, to kind of extra meta-communicate. So even if you're, you're feeling upset, you could even communicate that. And again... This might take some practice, but to kind of say something like, okay, you know, that's, that's upsetting to hear, but, but I do realize, you know, you, you want things to get better and I appreciate that you're putting in this effort. So let's, let's try to figure out how to make this better. That works for both of us, you know, kind of something to reframe it into an us against the problem 
rather than us against each other. But even just kind of talking through that when it's hard, I've at least found that to be helpful to kind of say like, hey, I'm really upset by this, but also I want us to try to do a good job here and I want us to approach this a little bit differently. But I am here listening and I, and I want to hear what you're saying rather than just getting mad at you. That, that, that has been helpful for me. That's also really helpful for like smaller things, like a partner may say something that to you, you perceive as being flippant or, oh, they they are talking to me about this thing because they're trying to, you know, discuss a bigger picture thing that maybe I'm bad at or it's some like under underlying form of criticism or something along those lines. I've found that doing the exact same thing to assume good atten- intent first is super important Because ideally, you're like, yeah, my partner just wants to help me out or is trying to be kind in some way, even if it is triggering something internally. Ideally, like you think that or you have the idea that they are doing something good for you instead of being an asshole or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Next on this list is, again, when you're physiologically more calm, you can take a moment to reflect on your partner's positive traits. A modification I would even make to this is that if you're in conflict where you have some kind of story about, oh, I'm so much better than my partner in in XYZ regard, like, oh, I'm so responsible and my partner is so irresponsible, you can sit and think about, okay, what are the what are the positive traits that I'm applying to myself? And can I find that in my partner? You know, even though I'm telling myself this story about how irresponsible they are, are there counterexamples, right? And now it may still be, yeah, it may still be true, like broadly true that like maybe you are more responsible than your partner, but chances are it's not a black and white difference. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes even finding that can help you come into a conflict with a little bit more of a measured perspective on the situation. And I think can also help to reduce some of that contempt behavior where you feel like you're superior and you want to make sure your partner knows that they're inferior. I think it can really help with that. Next on this list is to. Think of you and your partner as a team rather than opponents. Remember that your goal is to work together on figuring out why is it we're not seeing eye to eye on this and then to find a solution. Again, to reiterate, it's not to win the fight and to prove that your partner is wrong. So I think that is a really important shift in any conflict. And trust me, even to this day, I still have a lot of conflicts that start out in the who's right and who's wrong. Hmm. You know, who did it good, who did it bad who has the right perspective on this or the right idea, who has the wrong idea. But the sooner that you can shift it into, okay, no, we're in this together and it's going to be us versus the problem, I promise you the faster you're going to get to a more productive solution. The caveat to a lot of these is also to recognize that it may not be easy to follow a lot of these suggestions, but it's going to be even harder if your partner is not playing by the same rules, right? And I feel for you. I totally get it that. There, I do think there are some situations in some relationships where if one person chooses to take the high ground, it sets up everybody for success. And also sometimes if you're the only one who ever is trying to have productive conflict and your partner is constantly, you know, fighting dirty, as it were, or doesn't want to work on the way that the two of you work through conflict, like that's going to make this a lot harder. So have to reiterate that this work of making conflict better should not fall on just one person. You know, 
it's it it's an overused phrase, but it takes two to tango. And so that may mean the two of you have different parts to play in this or different ways that you contribute to your conflict going awry. But the work of making conflict more productive is not something that falls on just one person's shoulders. Another thing to throw in there for this one, though, is that... It, right. It's not only one person's job to make it so that conflict is healthy or doesn't happen. And if you have a partner who's just completely unwilling to engage in that, no matter how good a job you're doing, this might just not be a good relationship and, and that's just not going to work out. And I know that sucks. And I, I know that that's never a fun answer to give, but that is, but that is the reality of it. On the other hand, th- I've also seen the scenario with couples where Maybe this pattern's gone on for a long time. And even when the other partner does start to try, the first partner just can't even receive that anymore because they're so checked out on like, this person doesn't do any work. And even if they are trying to do some work now, it's kind of like, I can't even accept that from them. I just know, like, I'm not even going to trust them. I'm not even going to believe them. And, you know, that, that situation is, is honestly really tragic to see. And it's one of those things where either hopefully with some, you know, counseling or some outside help, some professional help, maybe being able to get past that and see, okay, no, we, we are actually able to work on this together. Or it might be that thing of just like, I, I'm never going to be able to trust that this person's going to hold their side of this, that they're going to learn their steps in the tango, aesthetic or set. Uh, that, you know, in that case, like if you're never going to accept that from them, then also you shouldn't be in this relationship anymore. And I know, again, that's harsh and it sucks to say. But it's just, if you've gotten to that point where for some reason or another, this just, we're not going to feel like we're understanding each other or making improvements, that's also worth noting. And that's important to see. And the last item on this list from Psychology Today is to give yourself a phrase to repeat when you start feeling angry or start feeling activated to help you remember your goal. It could even be something as simple as just, okay, just be understanding, be understanding or try to understand, understand where they're coming from. It can really help if you've already done some work on figuring out what your values are in relationship and what your values are in conflict, because that's going to be your guiding light that helps get you through the moments when you're just like pissed off. It feels like an internal microscript as opposed to something Mm. that you do with your partner. It's, you know, a microscript for yourself. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, just a little reminder to repeat that to yourself. I also like that her example here is to be understanding. And I like that because we just talked about this study where understanding your partner and being understood by your partner, there's some evidence to suggest that might be the most important thing about having healthy conflicts that don't cause a decrease in relationship satisfaction for you. So I think even taking that a step further into what if you go into conflict and you know it starts to go badly Maybe you take a little break and say, you know, I have to go to the bathroom or just something to give yourself a little breather, regroup, and to come back with this intention of what if I go into this without the goal of either defending myself or trying to be right, and instead say, what if my goal is just I want to make sure that I understand them and that they understand me and see how that maybe changes your approach. You know, it might change what you think is success in that argument. So just something to, to try out and keep in mind. And in that, to add some tips from us that are, are not just these ones from psychology today, that is using the Triforce of communication is the first one that comes to my mind. When it comes to being understood, 
I think the Triforce is a great place to start. You can go back and check that out if you're not familiar with it in episode two, which is one of our fundamentals episodes where we talk about the Triforce of communication. But basically, this can be a way to even prevent some conflict from starting in the first place or hopefully resolve it more quickly by being clear about what is the intention of that communication. Also, if there is a bigger kind of more global conflict that seems to be a cyclical pattern in your relationship, sometimes it might be best to just leave it for another time and do something like a radar, which is another thing that we talk about a ton on this show. Uh, You can find more on radar in episode three of our fundamentals, but that might be a better way of approaching conflict as opposed to just sort of powering through a moment where you're super activated, super physiologically intense in that moment, or you're having a lot of emotions, all of those things, instead of tackling something right at that moment, maybe just save it for later save it for a radar, come back to it when you are less charged and less on edge, and maybe when you have a little bit more perspective as well. And related to that, I talked. To, we've talked a lot about halting, about finding a time when you're calm, and I would highly recommend going and listening to Multiamory episode 218, which is titled, I've Halted, Now What? So it's not just about the pause, but also what you do during the pause, and that's going to help give you some ideas for how you can get yourself physiologically down to a better place so that then when you come back to the conflict, it's much better and much more constructive. And then after you've gotten to the other side of it, we really recommend checking out the repair shop framework for repairing and processing and reconnecting after the argument, especially if it was an argument that did not go so great and happened a couple days ago and you're ready to come back together and understand what happened and find ways to prevent that particular conflict mishap from happening again. So you can go check out episode seven, which is in our fundamental series. Something I think is really neat about having read this study is that one of the core pieces of our repair shop framework is about going through different ways of being understood and understanding each other. And it's Mm. like, ah, huh, that is related to this thing. So even after the fact, adding more of that understanding, even after the argument can be really helpful. This has been this has been a cool visit back to this. I know talking about fights and arguments isn't always the most sort of sexy, fun, cool topic, but it is really important and it's something that is just a part of life and so learning to recognize some of these things and do that better can can have a hugely transformative effect on the quality of of all your relationships, not just your romantic relationships, but also with family and friends and even coworkers, these same principles can apply in those cases. We would also love to hear from you. We have a question of the week on our Instagram story, which is, how do you make sure your partner feels understood when you have disagreements? Do a little soul searching on that one and let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to discuss this with other listeners, the best place to share your thoughts is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. 
Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.